0: Welcome to monster dear monster a multimedia monster podcast i'm your host for the night cameron and joining me as always are dave dave how are you doing i'm doing good excellent
1: and matt matt how are you i am dandy fresh off another day of diy and buying crap shirts for a stag do how is that garden going it's it, it's going. It's so going that I wish it was gone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there with it. It's rate. I'm busy raking, and it's basically trying to sort out a mess that the previous owner couldn't be bothered to sort out. So it's. Uh, I mean, I'm in at the proverbial deep end at the moment. Especially considering <laughs> I come from a flat where or an apartment where we never had a garden. So I've never even picked up a rake before in my life. So <laughs> all an experience. <laughs>
0: wow. Yeah. Hey, excellent, excellent. Uh so this week on Monster deer Monster, we'll be covering some more Lovecraft uh for you all. And specifically we're going to be covering the Dunwich or Dunwich horror, depending on pronunciation. <laughs> uh but before we get on to that lovely tale, it's time for that infamous segment. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's Yokai of the week. Hey,
1: yes, it's everyone's favourite part of the show. It's the thing they tune in for and then they disappear afterwards (laughs) when we get to the meat of it. So, yeah, it's Yokai of the Week. We're on the letter F. F for fantastic monsters and where to find them. Well, actually, it's fantastic beasts, but, you know, we can't say that. Good try. Good try. So, yeah, uh, we're on F. um, So I think it's time for Dave. Roll Five. Well, Five, <laughs> yes. Solid number. Comes really? after four.
2: <laughs> oh, great. Um, oh, okay, so baki no rei. A <laughs> 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 tongue twister. Hey. Uh, no, it's a soul
0: sucking plant. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that link does not go. I, that link um, is terrible. It's just
2: pictures. <laughs> it's a...
0: Oh, there it is. That's There's an image in, of it. Is it on there? There's an image on it uh, of it on there but I honestly can't make much of Japanese woodcuts. Uh.
1: Yeah. It's it, look, oh, it there looks it like
0: kept... Oh, there's no tree. There's no actual page for this.
1: Um Furutsubaki no sp- rei.
2: It's a spooky tree. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: that was your
0: god. Yeah. Um Let's see. Hold on, there's a yokai
1: dot I'm looking at. Yep. So, We're we're it's all right, it's fine. We're we're ahead of the game. Uh, da, 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 da. uh
2: t- well it's like something mountain flower uh um... Yeah. I don't know, it's not lightning, I, something like that.
0: Got a rough translation for old Tsubaki spirit. You sound like it had a Scottish accent then. Tsubaki spirit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do love me a good yokai in the evening.
1: <laughs> Which part of <is> Scotland <laughs> slash Ireland <laughs> slash Wales <Are> you from? <laughs> slash India? <laughs> I'm from all over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh haven't yeah, spent so long we're... enough at my uncle. Uh. <laughs> right so looking at it uh i found another page uh in japanese folklore almost anything upon reaching an old age can develop a spirit and become a yokai when a tubas- tubaki tree um the Rose of the Winter, reaches an old age, its spirit gains the ability to separate itself from its host tree along with other strange and mysterious powers which it uses to bewitch and trick humans. That's the appearance. It looks yeah. like it, basi- it basically lo- in this picture, it looks like a lady hiding in a bush. Really? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <I'm laughs> that's the picture I'm looking at.
0: <laughs> this just looks like a bush next to a tree by a shrine. Uh, yeah, there's some interesting depictions going on here. Yeah, huh? Uh, and
2: it looks like little konyaku or something on the ground. I don't, I don't know. Um,
1: it's, it's associated with death and strangeness in Japan, and it's also taboo to bring it as gifts to hospitals or sick people. That's the mm. the tree mm. itself. Like- Cursing yeah, yeah. Don't street. bring the yokai to someone at the hospital. It's not greatly appreciated. <laughs> okay, well, so, Please wash your hands and bring no yokai to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Remember, All right, guys. Whoever is in charge of this Wikipedia article, you let us down. <laughs> yeah, you <yeah, laughs> really it's did. A poor
1: one. So I think that was yokai of the week. <laughs> <laughs>
2: For good or ill. It's a treat every week. <laughs> some some weeks more more of a treat than others.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. One day. Uh well, let's get to it then. Uh so yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we'll be discussing the Dunwich. I'm gonna go with Dunwich Horror. Um, which is a Story, definitely not a short one, uh, written by H.P. Lovecraft in 1928 and first published in the April 1929 issue of Weird Tales. It takes place in Dunwich, a fictional town in Massachusetts. Uh, Now, this is a fairly well-regarded piece in uh, Lovecraft's writing. Matt, what did
1: you think of it? I really enjoyed it, actually. I... Read it only fairly recently. I haven't got around to watching the movie yet, but that will happen in time. But now, as a as a short novel, I thought it was actually very good because I think it's of Lovecraft's many novels. It's actually quite a good one to actually understand as well, because you know his his very you know from one end to the other. I think it's quite a, a solid one, and I think that's why it's quite well known amongst uh, his work. I think. It's interesting because obviously it's part of the Cthulhu mythos, uh, which is obviously, you know, more of his popular work. I think in some ways it's quite basic in the sense that you're talking about a abomination child being born of an abomination mother, you know, part of a very strange family in a rural back area that no one particularly wants to live in, etc., and then obviously, you know, turns into the what eventually becomes the, the Dunwich horror. But yeah, I think as a whole, I think it's it's enjoyable reading. Um again, Lovecraft's use of description is fantastic in this one, which is obviously one of his his uh, main strengths anyway. But I think it it's one of those that it's as easy reading I found compared to a lot of his other work. So I yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Dave, how about yourself? A sort of general impressions. Yeah, I like this one a lot.
2: Um, he did apparently, uh, and kind of, the, the story wears it on its sleeve, but um, sort of got the idea or was inspired by um, Arthur um, Makin's um, The Great God Pan, which came out, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years or 20 years mm-hmm. prior. Um, And that deals with a lot of the same uh, concepts where a scholar is going to some hovel uh, in the woods and encounters something supernatural. Um, He also, I think he reined it in a little bit. There's not a lot of, or not as much uh, purple prose in this. It's a little bit more straightforward, um, which was kind of nice. So you can digest this (laughs) a little bit easier instead of wondering at his... uh, Strange uh, Eldric vocabulary. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he sort of saves it more for where it's needed rather mm-hmm. than just splashing around everywhere with his uh, nauseous brush or whatever it is. It was a <laughs> the last month, was it? nauseous but, you know, wizard. A yeah, wizard with a hellish brush or whatever it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, he definitely reigns in the prose a fair mm-hmm. bit, which does make it a lot easier to read, which is nice. And it's sort of fairly neatly set out into these short chapters. And, you know, it's, um for, for my personal opinion, sort of as far as it goes as a story from start to finish, it's very straightforward. It's a very sort of simple overall story, but it's not sort of lacking any depth or anything. So while it's easy to keep track of, it's still interesting to read um and it sort of shakes up his style a little which uh, we'll discuss a little more as we sort of talk about the um my brain went on me uh as we talk about the creatures of the book and uh their various fates uh but yeah more or less this is this is like sort of small town back county horror kind of stuff you know you've got this sort of thick accent Portrayed throughout a lot of the characters' dialogues, you've got these hills with these strange stone obelisks on them. You've got these, you know, yearly earthquakes that happen, you know, certain times of the year. There's all the animals go crazy kind of stuff, and uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of inbreeding, uh, which Lovecraft goes into a bit of detail. Like you know, you've got these three main branches of families that are unpolluted and still clean, and then all these fallen branches of families where they've sort of, <laughs> sort of fallen into g- degeneracy, I think is the general term he uses. Uh, but in particular, focus are the Watleys, the Waitleys? Any Wait. any guide on pronunciation?
1: I think it's Wait, the Waitleys as well. That's what the audio book says.
0: Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Uh, the Waitleys are in particular... I've forgotten their names already. Uh, particularly, we have Old Waitley, who's sort of Old the Waitley. the patriarch or the grandfather of the family. We've got Lavinia Waitley, uh, one of Lovecraft's very few female characters. She's um, mm-hmm. a slightly deformed albino woman. Uh, and then we have her son, uh, sort of one of the focal points of this narrative, Wilbur Waitley, uh, a dark and goatish-looking infant.
1: <laughs> He's nowhere, nowhere, not winning any beauty contests, is he?
0: Uh, no, he's described as sort of charismatic in his own way, but irrevocably ugly <laughs> from Lovecraft's point of view, of mm. course. You know, he's considered a lot of particular features to be horrendously unattractive, but we're not yeah. sure exactly he's like, how deep reading. huge, you. too. Yeah, He's like yeah, tall yeah. yeah. or something. Yeah, he keeps growing, I mean, doesn't he? He's nine feet tall when he dies, I think. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah, no, uh, so Wilbur Waitley is of interest because, you know, he was born, you know, nine months after one of these tremblings of the hills, etc, cetera, et cetera. No one heard about him for a week until his grandfather came down into town to buy a bunch of supplies, gabbering on about how you wouldn't guess who his father was, and his father's a right sight better than anyone would ever think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> when he was... Doing that bit, I sort of got the impression like no one really cared. <laughs> He's there just <laughs> muttering to himself in the, like I said, in the, in the general <laughs> store. He's yeah, just talking about where it's come from. And so I'm like, yeah, no one cares that you, your your deformed daughter has given birth to some weirdo. That's how it comes across in the, you know, in the book. Yeah, because obviously yeah. they're a bit intimidated by the, uh, the Waitleys, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, with good reason, because Wilbur turns out
0: to be quite the oddity. He's sort of walking with assistance by the age of six months. He's running around the zone at the age of seven. And a few months after that, he's talking uh, conservatively, but quite well. Uh, so he's growing up incredibly fast. It's like, he looks like a four-year-old by the time he's a year old, stuff like that, I believe.
1: Yeah. 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 They, yeah. They, they, they focus on, his, talking about his speech, they focus... Lovecraft focuses on that quite a bit at times where mm. he sort of describes what's coming out of his mouth is obviously very uh, you know he's very literate and conveys himself very well but the his sort of tone uh, is almost guttural and and such like is that is that an impression that you guys got because that's how it came across to me that he sort of, he's the it's the way the way he says everything is is very good but the his you know the actual noise that comes out of his mouth is a bit uh, harsh for the ears. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Lovecraft talks about how it sounds like he doesn't have a rope. like there's some other organ producing these noises. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <Nasty.
0: laughs> um Yeah. And no, he just continually grows taller and bigger and smarter uh, and, you know, begins working around the house a lot. You know, he does, construction things, he changes the layout of rooms, uh, he gets all the books in the house together and reads all of them, and he's heard one night out in the hills yelling the name Sothoth. Uh, but sort of the most interesting about him is he's never seen without this tight-fitting, uh, very tightly bound, tightly buttoned clothing, and he has this intense fear or revulsion of any any idea that it might be moved or removed in any way. Uh, he seems to be very fastidious about his appearance. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, essentially he continues to grow and he continues to be sort of, uh, the, the local, uh, the local oddball. Uh, people really don't like him, uh, because dogs hate him and he's taken (laughs) to the habit of carrying a revolver around, uh, to shoot dogs that attack him.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, I think it's a fair point. I mean, I can obviously yeah, yeah. understand it from their perspective, but yeah, you got to defend yourself. Mm. You know, uh, it's not, know, it's it's, it's like a, it's like a reverse of the thing, isn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Well, no, not a reverse. Obviously, the the thing hates dogs, whereas he, yeah, that's what he does as well. Thinking about it, yeah, He's well, more, no, it's
0: more like dogs hate him. Yeah, he, he doesn't just defend, defend him himself. himself. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he he seems to be looking for more information on certain things you know he's going and he's in correspondence with all these university libraries things like that uh and he needs some kind of information to the point where he eventually leaves town and goes to the Miskatonic University I believe it is to uh have a look at their copy of the Necronomicon sure. uh <laughs> a a book that is a creature all to itself
1: oh uh, yes <laughs>
0: Uh, and the librarian there refuses to let him borrow it or take any notes on it or anything like that. Uh, and st- attempts, once he leaves, attempts to stymie his efforts to, efforts to find other copies, writing to all these other libraries, and universities, like there's something not right with this guy. Uh, you know, he's 14 years old, but he's in my library, seven and a half feet tall. <laughs> he's looking up Yogg South of information.
1: yeah because he yeah he sends a signal out to the other university saying look watch out for this guy it's almost like when you you go to a bar and they've there's a photo of someone behind it saying don't serve this man (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah
0: uh and you know about a year or so later he breaks into the miskatonic university again in a sort of desperate attempt to get their copy of the necronomicon uh Let's see. He dies at the age of 15 after being mobbed by a guard dog while breaking into the Miskatonic Library on August 3rd, 1928. Yep. Uh And this is where Lovecraft breaks out the descriptors. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's pretty nasty, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave, what do you think of uh, young Wilbur Waitley's sort of true form? <laughs> uh, described here? Well, yeah, it was <laughs> pretty... Yeah, he
2: saved, he saved his... Uh, Crazy descriptions for until we got to this part. Um, yeah. yeah, it sounds really gross. So uh, I'll, I'll read a little bit of his um, his post death description because all that clothing that he was wearing um, it's, it's kind of torn uh, by the dog and um, the the is it the guards is Henry one of the guys. whoever finds him I think it's Henry Armitage. Mm, um, yeah, uh, they realize why he was. You know, covered from head to toe, all the time. So it says um, the thing that lay half bent on its side in a, a fetid pool of greenish yellow ichor and tarry stickiness was almost nine feet tall, and the dog had torn off. Oh, there we go. All the clothing and some of the skin. It was partly human, beyond a doubt, with very manlike hands and head, and the goatish chinless face had the stamp of the Waitleys on it. But the torso and lower parts of the body were. Teratologically fabulous? Okay. Um, So that only generous clothing could ever have enabled it to walk on Earth unchallenged or uneradicated. Above the waist, it was semi-anthropomorphic, though its chest had the leathery, reticulated hide of a crocodile or alligator. The back was piebald with yellow and black, and dimly suggested the squamous covering of certain snakes. Squamous snake. Um, mm. Below the waist, though, it was the worst. It was, it was the worst. Jeremy Bria? <laughs> <laughs> that's,
1: that's what I was. <laughs> uh, sorry,
2: <Jeremy. laughs> um, For here, all human <laughs> resemblance <ramblings laughs> left off, and sheer fantasy began. The skin the age, was thickly. Yeah, it's spelled like. Mm. Fantasy Star. Fantasy anyway, star online. Um, yeah. <laughs> the skin was thickly covered with coarse black fur, and from the abdomen, a score of long greenish gray tentacles with red sucking mouths protruded limply. Their arrangement was odd and seemed to follow the symmetries of some cosmic geometry unknown to Earth or the solar system. On each of the hips, deep set in a kind of pinkish ciliated orbit, yeah, this is. Sounds- disgusting um was what <laughs> seemed to be a rudimentary eye <laughs> while really. in lieu of a tail there depended a kind of trunk or feeler with purple annular markings and many evidences of being an undeveloped mouth or throat the limbs save for their black fur roughly resembled the hind of hind legs of prehistoric earth's giant saurians so Dinosaur legs, yeah, yeah, I was like- <laughs> and terminated in ridgy veined pads that were neither hooves nor claws. Yeah, yeah, so he sounds like yeah. a, a keeper. Yeah, yeah. pretty boy.
1: Wow.
2: <laughs> yeah, so when this part happened, um, this, this is toward the end of the, the story, but mm. it's just a guard dog. This dude's like a seven mm. or a huge nine
0: foot tall, dude dude, dude. That was nine
2: feet tall. Uh, yeah, I don't see how the dog killed him.
1: No, uh, sure. you know.
0: uh, they they did mention his revolver misfired and the um the bullet got caught in the barrel, mm. and so his gun was apparently useless. But I'm like, yeah, no, he's yeah, but a he's nine foot huge, he he yeah, it's so he's, mean, you know, <laughs>
2: he's I'm amazing. not advocating animal violence, but you're like a nine foot tall beast, man. I think you can uh. take care of one dog. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. It was anyway. a, bit, a bit, Yeah, he sort of whimpers out, doesn't he? Really, you he sort of think of mm. build up. So, you know, he, there's a main focus on him from a descriptive and thematic point of view. But he then just, like I so said, he just gets killed by a guard dog. It's real like, oh, he really? Yeah. He's well,
2: like- I mean, he is painted as like a scholarly figure. Yeah, and never worked in, out. In any of Lovecraft's works, the, the scholars get the short end of the stick. <laughs> True,
1: yeah. They're yeah. not
2: very like physically stout Eagle. and so yeah. even if he, he was like nine feet tall maybe he's just like really reedy or something he didn't really get into mm. his um actual build. he didn't seem like it's yeah. super impo- they weren't like he's broad-shouldered you know he's maybe he's
0: no he's, he's just tall.
2: really skinny yeah anyway mm. yeah there yeah. was a, kind of a letdown yeah. i was like what the, the mm. dog killed him yeah and it was sort of vague because yeah. it doesn't say it outright it just kind of like Mentions that the dog is barking, and then there's a there's a crash. I guess the dog came in through the window um, when he mm. was looking through looking for the Necronomicon, and um,
1: yeah.
2: it just sort of like they they rush in and then find him dead. Like I guess the dog got him.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, like uh, the dog sitting on him. Yeah. So was it? Yeah. 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 Um. The 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 weirdest thing about him is he isn't actually mentioned in a few paragraphs you read, but uh. After about 10 minutes, he kind of just oozes away into nothingness. Mm. Yeah. There's a great line. It's something along the lines of apparently there was no bone in his body whatsoever or something like that. He's like this entirely cartilaginous slime being thing that was only loosely holding shape. (laughs) Yeah. It's just pretty pretty cool on top of all the the weird (laughs) stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, they got a medical examiner and, like the dogs killed someone and the guy comes in and is like, "Well, you got a dog kind of swatch yeah. on the floor."
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so where's the guy then? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, uh so that is Wilbur Waitley. Mm. Um but he was not alone uh for he in fact had a twin brother. Certainly uh, did. Well, twin sibling, I don't want to gender uh beings beyond our comprehension. <laughs> <laughs> Um so back in Dunwich the uh, the actual horror began uh because all his life uh, Wilbur had been caring for and feeding and knocking walls out to allow space for his much larger twin brother mm-hmm. twin sibling um and without him there to care for it uh it goes a little nuts and breaks loose <laughs> Yeah it's you, you, we get a description of everyone freaks out when there's a sound like uh a bomb goes off at the old waitley house and you know all their few remaining cattle disappear um and there are these giant barrel-like footprints in the mud of all the roads leading down to a glen and people go well that was that was really weird and then (laughs) the next night Uh, there's a whole bunch of noise and a barn is destroyed and all the cattle in there are uh, eaten and killed again. And people go, well, this is really weird. We know it's in there and, uh, well, maybe we shouldn't do anything. And then the next night it gets someone, uh, gets a family, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, uh, it it was good.
1: I, I can't remember what description they that Lovecraft used is about that family but does he say that they're raised it, the family were raised you know it was it was such yeah, a very yeah. final word he used and got it to hand but it was just like it was re- just that one word he used was really powerful you know mm-hmm. like literally like they are gone <laughs> out, of, you know, yeah. out of existence it was you know rather than just like oh yeah they were just killed it was like no mm-hmm. gone eradicated <laughs> it's it, a yeah. really good use of language yeah, there
0: we go. Uh, and it's. Uh, so, I mean, the monster's creepy enough. It's always described as sort of being heralded by this lapping sound, almost like sort of waves up on a small beach noise. So, you get the idea it's got this kind of gelid, uh kind of changeable form. Uh, but it actually turns out to be invisible as well. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> <Which> is, <laughs> you know, you, you've got a house sized monster stomping around, eating cattle raising families from existence and, and it's he's invisible, invisible. <laughs> it's also invisible
2: <laughs> and he has like way more than four legs <laughs> I think yeah, it's time to point that yeah. out like with these tracks there, there can't be only four legs
0: yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, it sort of just terrorizes the local area for several days, uh, killing two families and several policemen until, uh members from the Miskatonic Universities, uh, Armitage, Rice, and Morgan arrive with the knowledge and weapons needed to kill it. Uh, uh, and they use a, to render it visible and, you know, attack it and the sight of it sends one of them into shock. <laughs> <laughs> Right, no, that's that's way too messed up. I'm going to sort of log out for a bit. <laughs> Get me out of here. Uh, yeah, and uh, they cast a spell of some sort, I believe. Yeah, of, yeah, they, chant and... uh, yeah they, they chanted it. Yeah, uh, they chanted it. And <clears throat> just before it's destroyed by this spell that they're chanting, uh, it screams for help in English, mm. revealing its identity as Wilbur's twin brother. Yeah. Though... It looked more like the father than Wilbur did. Dun dun dun! dun
1: big dun, spook. Dun. Uh, <laughs> He's got daddy issues.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so this is sort of our second monster in uh, the Dunwich Horror, which is the so um, throughout throughout the story, it's always talked about how, uh, at least from old Waitley, is always talking about how Wilbur will one day grow to resemble his father more. And sort of, you know, inherit his father's power and bring his father back into being, all these kind of mad ramblings. And at the same time, uh, we sort of get a little flashback later on where he's uh talking to is it a flashback or it's a diary entry. Uh by the way, where Wilbur's being told he has to care for his uh for his brother and make yeah. sure he doesn't grow too fast. Yeah, uh, because it needs to the time needs to be right and he needs to have the right rituals prepared. Uh, to be able to control him and sort of do some kind of ritual and if he feeds him too much or too little he'll grow too fast or he'll get bored and break out and it's been this sort of this sort of great balancing act for the last 15 years which finally culminated in this uh, horror period Um, so what do you guys think of our mysterious and unnamed creature
2: yeah he was uh, pretty spooky I guess (laughs) (laughs) giant invisible marauding beast Um, yeah and it's tough because the the descriptions were limited Uh, you know we don't get Uh as much of a um, grand picture painted uh, for for this uh, sibling of Wilbur's as we did with with Wilbur's Mm. own reveal yeah
0: yeah I mean that's that's part of it. It's like that uh that horror of the unknown kind of thing, I guess, given quite a literal form. But uh it does also make it a little less interesting to think about if you're not busy being scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh Matt, any thoughts on uh the other Waitley?
1: <laughs> yeah, like I agree with Dave that uh, it's a shame there's description of it. Uh I think that there is a lot of build-up because obviously you've seen uh, uh, many chapters of you know where Wilbur and his his grandfather are you know plotting and scheming and almost ostracising their mother, her his mother you know she's sort of just pushed aside and obviously appears at some point throughout the the story but I I I don't know I think that I wish they had. Or oh, I felt that Lovecraft had slightly rushed this part of the the novel. Mm-hmm. I think that, that you know, like I said, there is a, a massive build-up, but then you don't, you only get sort of little snippets of of the actual Dunwich horror, which is a shame because it's actually a fact. You know, when you actually do uh, see and read the the parts of it, it's actually quite a fascinating creature. And and mm. it, I just think the chaos it, <clears throat> excuse me, the chaos it causes, I, I just is a bit interesting actually because. Like I said, it it takes out a couple of families, a couple of policemen, and drains the blood of quite a few cows, which obviously it's been fed on for a while. But it's almost like it's come into the world at that point, not knowing what it's there to do, really. It's broken out. Obviously, Wilbur's been killed by the dog. It's now either, you know, it has got bored or hungry, you know, and and obviously no no, no one's there to contain him or contain it anymore. And like I said, I just was a bit, you know, at first when I was reading the little it was doing, I was thinking, like, you know, you've got this huge monster that's, that's invisible that's, you know, that could literally cause as much destruction as it wanted it, but it's not. It's almost doing what it needs to do and then hiding. And it's almost like it It felt like, because it's been con- contained in its own environment for so long, it's almost reminded me of a, like a baby animal, you know, or an animal that's been in, um you know being cared for by humans for x amount of years and then it's put into the wild and doesn't know really what to do with itself and that's how that's how it it sort of came across to me
0: mm-hmm. yeah it's almost more like a lost child mm. in that kind of time it doesn't know what to do with itself it goes out and it eats when it's hungry but apart from that it kind of just runs off to a safe space. Yeah, it's uh, it's
1: literally a lost child of antiquity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. Oh, man. Oh, those guys would be so much creepier if they were like that. Uh, yeah, just a bit. Instead of just big rock yetis. Uh, <laughs> and they're invisible. Great. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no, Dark Souls doesn't need more invisible no. enemies. Imagine enough invisible enough Winter
1: Lanterns. Too. Oh, no. Imagine oh, that. Well, now it's going Luckily, to be cartoon.
0: No, no, Miyazaki <laughs> heard you.
1: Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> He's dialed in right now. He's one of the many listeners of Monster, Dear Monster. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, uh, but um, anyway, uh, so yeah, so both Wilbur Waitley and his unnamed sibling are uh, linked to sort of the greater. I'm not going to say greater evil, the greater power in uh, the Dunachora, Dan- which is a. Uh, Yog-Sothoth, mm. uh the sort of cosmic entity that binds this tale to the greater Cthulhu mythos. Uh <laughs> and uh this this one's uh, this one's a bit of a big one. Uh Yog-Sothoth, an outer god, uh the lurker at the threshold, the opener of the way beyond one all in one, one and all, etcetera, etcetera. Uh, grandfather to the eponymous Cthulhu, uh actually, which is interesting. Um, yeah, no, so in, in this tale, yogg sort of portrayed as this sort of outer force that's sort of everywhere and nowhere at once and sort of locked behind some kind of gate. But it is also the key to the gate and the knowledge of the way to the key to the gate, etc. So the all these grand mysteries kind of <laughs> deal. Uh, but it obviously also has some sort of presence in the world because it, uh, Came down in some foul ritual and uh, made a couple of kids with Lavinia Waitley. Yep. Uh, again, we ended up with Wilbur and the Yog Waitley? Question mark. <laughs> Not sure <laughs> what to name that one.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's what they ended um, up deciding was the name of
0: Wilbur's hmm, brother. Yeah, the, the sort of semi-official hmm. naming. Yeah, it's not a bad name.
1: Uh, Yeah, named um, after his father.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, And York Sothoth himself, because it's apparently male, uh, has a few depictions, you know, got just a sort of mindless writhing mass of tentacles and eyes, which sort of calls to mind uh, the sort of more tentacly version uh, that Wilbur Waitley ended up being. Uh, we also have um, in the horror in the museum uh, Hazel Keel described Yogg-Sothoth as only a congeries sh- of iridescent globes but stupendous in its malign suggestiveness. Wow. <laughs> a bunch of, uh, bunch of evil lights, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, what, what do you guys think of Yogg-Sothoth? It's kind of a Broad creature, elder god thing within the Cthulhu mythos.
1: Well, yeah, it's 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 a funny one, isn't it? It's one of those sort of creatures or beings that you see in in not just in Lovecraft, but you see it in uh, in other media, especially for people that are familiar with the with Chaos in Warhammer Forty Thousand universe, Mm -hmm. where where everything is something and nothing. It's you know, everything's there's no there's it's never a black and white being it's always something where it's a bit uh, yeah you, there's no real d- proper description of it it's it's like like you said in the description about the you know it's it's the gate but it's also the keeper of the gate it's almost like you're it's like you're listening to a riddle and that's almost like what it is it, you know i suppose it's the, the old ones and the great ones are similar to the you know the gods in in the the 40k universe or any other type of media it's it's that where they're 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 so complicated so that human mind can't deal with it can't comprehend it and it's and to me yog Sophoth is another you know version of that you know it's another thing where like i said we don't get that much description in this particular novel um like i said that there is that quite prominent bit about the the gate and the gatekeeper which goes on for quite a while but we, from memory isn't isn't um isn't it being read out of the Necronomicon at that point? Is that right? From what uh, I remember, yes. I, I think one yeah. of the, you know, one of the characters is reading it out, and it and it, it sums it up. But I think compared to what I thought of the actual Dunwich or Yog uh, Waitley, where I think there needed to be a bit more about him, I think with this particular being, I think the the description was enough for it. I think right. that because it's so. Imp- you know, you can't comprehend it, you can't fathom it, that it's that's enough to you know to to bring it into the world. Really. So yeah, yeah, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Yeah. How about you, Dave? Uh, yeah, yeah
2: um, one of the uh, we consulted several wikis <laughs> for information <laughs> on Yog sothoth uh, but one of them has the, the passage from the Dunwich Dunwich Horror. Yog um, sothoth knows the gate. Yog sothoth is the gate. Yog sothoth is the key and guardian of the gate. Past, present, future. All are one in Yog sothoth He knows where the old ones broke through of old and where they shall break through again. He knows where they have trod earth's fields and where they still tread them and why no one can behold them as they tread. That is, I think, more of the importance uh, of Mm -hmm. this, this elder god is that being the gate and the key uh, isn't like the greater signifier. It's mm. really what lies beyond all that. So, I guess this fear of um, all of the other, more I guess fleshed out um, elder gods uh, mm. is sort of they're being like locked up, you know, behind you know this uh, this gate. And mm, I think mm. that that's what makes Yoksaf a, a little bit more interesting.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's sort of the center point between regular it, reality and the back yeah. stuff. Yeah, and it's sort of a
2: precursor, I guess. So mm. until... Mm. Um, Yog Sothoth is brought into like this plane of existence. There's like less to worry about <laughs> as far as the <laughs> other um, elder gods are concerned. I mean, yeah, Cthulhu's like asleep in the bottom of the ocean.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And um, Yog Sothoth. Uh, it's interesting because we've actually genealogy of uh, elder and outer gods. Uh, and Cthulhu is actually, as I mentioned earlier, it's a uh, Yog Sothoth's grandson. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Along with um Tafogla. Uh his actual children are Nug and Yeb, two of the other outer gods, and Wilbur Waitley and Yog Waitley. Uh he's got some he's got on the uh on the Wikipedia page he has two significant others listed. Uh which are Lavinia Waitley and Shub Niggurath. <laughs> and uh <laughs> Yeah, and uh sothoth is the child of the Nameless Mist and the grandchild of Azathoth. Yep. Which is sort of the, the grand primordial old one, as far as Lovecraft is concerned, if I'm remembering correctly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> so, uh, sort of bearing from yogg we kind of get this implication of this sort of grand interconnectedness of elder and outer gods because apparently there's a difference between those and uh, I'm not going to try and get into that in this <laughs> I don't want to go too
1: well you don't want to go into <laughs> elder god family trees <laughs> to, that'll not be its own episode yeah yeah <laughs>
0: deep, deep diving
2: yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah well yeah, what I do like is um, Yogg-Sothoth is used throughout the the, the Cthulhu, the mythos by other authors mm-hmm. that are involved in creating um, really some of the, like, fleshing out the backstories. So it looks like Yog-Sothoth is the ancestor of the Vormi, which are, um, I mean, they're like a prime, like not primeval, but a um, primordial race? I don't know. They're uh, yeah. uh, a race within the side stories of, like, Call the Conqueror. Or I guess okay. it's King Cole at that point, but it's um by Clark Ashton Smith. So mm. it's it's really neat to see that other um authors kind of took this material and, and expanded upon it, you know, really as much as they did, um and mm. so quickly. It's uh it's being you know, it's still being done today, but a lot of this was still within um you know their contemporaries of Lovecraft.
0: In the beginning. With. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, so that more or less covers sort of three bigger monsters for, uh, the damage horror. Uh, Dave, you were fortunate enough to watch a, a film adaptation of damage yes, Um, uh, what I, are your I, thoughts I, there? I took a look at the,
2: <laughs> um, 1970 version of the Dutch horror, um, it, as an adaptation, it takes a lot of liberties with the source material and kind of just goes off in its own direction. So mm. one of the, the largest um, divergences uh, is the character of Wilbur Whateley. Uh, he's portrayed by Dean Stockwell in the, in the film. And mm. he does not have any of the physical abnormalities that the book version has oh, he's he's okay. just a dashing just a young boot. man, and he's like well read, <laughs> well spoken. It looks like um, I don't know. Their their house is dilapidated, but you could see that it. They may have at one time, you know, been uh, more well off. Uh, sort of like mm. a failed uh, aristocracy or a fallen, you know. Yeah, not really nobles, but they they yeah. at one time had money. At least they look like they Mm did, and um, I guess another departure would be uh, Old Waitley in the in the film isn't like an agent of trying to spur these uh, rituals on with Yog Sothoth. He's he's like actively trying to stop Wilbur from from delving too deep. Yeah, Um, but they are uh, they do take care of his you know, his hmm, twin who in this, I just, or in this case, I guess have absorbed all of the, the, all the of characters. The from yeah. his uh, <laughs> Dear old dad. And then we, um, we have Henry Armitage in the, in the film, but our, I guess, focal point, uh, is, is played by Sandra D. Um, she is a, um, student of Arkham, or I guess uh mm. And um she ends up being tricked by uh Wilbur to play the part of uh sacrifice in the ritual to bring Yogg-Sothoth off uh, Sothothoth uh, <laughs> <laughs> in so plane <laughs> um yeah, well in the movie he's uh so <laughs> Wilbur is like, he's doing the ritual at the end of the film. And, mm. um, so he just keeps saying, Yorg soft, off. Yorg soft off, It's like, it's like kind of a tongue twister, but he does, does a pretty good job. But the the thing is, mm. is when he's, when he's <laughs> doing his chant, he has his hands like in fists with the thumbs, um, extended out, but with the, um, inside of his hand, like pressed to his temple.
1: Oh yeah. I can see that in the photos. Yeah.
2: So he's doing that and it looks hilarious. Like it's really <laughs> hard to take that seriously. Oh and yeah. um I guess I'll just get into it. Our uh our one response uh is from uh Twitter user that cold shiver. So at that cold shiver. Um uh I, I asked him to give us a little bit of feedback and he, he says um it's, uh, it's concise um i kind of like it it's slow in a couple places but it's beautifully strange it's lovecraft on lsd getting free love at a hippie commune <laughs> and all of those points are present um in the film uh, in one way or another but um so that cold shiver uh runs a Twitter that basically focuses on solely on horror films. And then he sort of live tweets uh, as he's watching these films and captions and screenshots, but uh, the screenshot captured has uh, Dean Stockwell with his hands in that pose. And uh, I, I believe the caption reads something like, Oh, oh we can tell that this was uh, the father of, Uh, Mork (laughs) from a Mork and Mindy (laughs) because it looks like that Nanu Nanu pose kind of (laughs) Um, but yeah Uh, that doesn't really sum up the film I guess Um, there is uh, there's a heavy this is because it was 1970 so this leans really hard on that like late 60s um, sexuality like the, all the rites are clearly, like, sexual in nature. They don't um, shy away from that. <laughs> and, and, in fact, it probably lingers a little too long um, uh. on on that uh, aspect of these rituals and the weird um, uh, dream sequences that we end up kind of running into that are, that's where the, like, the psychedelic part comes in. Um, there's a lot of just... I guess, trippy, uh, film, like, filters, uh, and, and music. So, it's, it's definitely, uh, trying to do justice to the strange nature, uh, of H.P. Lovecraft's, like, the world that he's sort of building, and, which is why we don't really see a lot of this stuff, um, put onto film, because it's difficult to describe and to physically show um, a creature or or like this sort of mental landscape that he paints and without making it funny, yeah, yeah um, they do a good job in this. Uh, they wisely don't show a whole lot of the um, the creature uh, at the end. And the parts they do show are bits of, um, I think it's like maybe some puppetry um, combined with crazy filters and then a lot of, um, like, jump shots. Like, it doesn't track wholly. You're not sitting there staring at any at any part of it for any long period of time. Um, and they're using... I think they might be using, like, a rotoscoping or something. So, it, you know, it comes out looking pretty well. Um, the film itself, mm-hmm. is, I would say, is definitely it's dated. You can't mistake this for, like, another time period. Um, Dean Stockwell's fabulous mustache uh, <laughs> clearly <laughs> do, uh, marks it in time as well as his Dave, his
1: Dave do, you, do, you, do you feel it was a bit of a letdown that they mm-hmm. made him very clean cut?
2: It was fine for the movie, um, but I think hmm. if you read the story and then watch the movie like directly afterwards yeah you're gonna be let down because they you there's a point in the film mm-hmm. I mean he has he's a nice suit on the entire time but then at the very end when he's doing his ritual he starts to take off his um, his nice clothes and he's instead of making him monstrous they just like covered him in hieroglyphics tattoos.
1: So it was really weird because it looked okay. very
2: Egyptian. It didn't look like cult, like a cult yeah. at all yeah. um, to me. Um, and that was, like, I guess the part where it was let down. I was totally expecting, like, some creepy tentacles on his belly or something, you know. <laughs> but they didn't. They, they just kind of left it as it was. Um, I don't know. They put a lot of their effort into the Invisible Brother, who in this movie was not invisible. He was quite uh, visible, or I, I guess oh. maybe he was supposed to be visible, but the audience could see him like I don't know mm-hmm. it was hard because they they were just flashing strobe light of like yeah psychedelic <laughs> color wheel blasting um <laughs> maybe suggesting that it was not uh in our reality like holy. I don't know um yeah it's, it's open to interpretation I think um uh, one thing that they did uh, that did make the transition were the uh, whippoorwills, which we didn't really discuss. So yeah. in the novel, um, these whippoorwills are uh, birds that are suggested to snatch the souls of the the recently departed, um, and. I guess ferry them away or so they didn't say what's going to happen mm-hmm. but they if you hear the whippoorwills um it's like a sign of your impending demise um but they yeah. did put them in, that did make it into the movie and I don't know if they were using actual whippoorwill calls or they just made up a horrible noise cuz this was not a pleasant <laughs> um sound and you mm-hmm. hear it and you're just like yeah I'm going to die <laughs> like it's not a it's not there there's no there's no bones about what's going to happen when you hear these birds um, making their call.
1: It's an odd choice of creatures actually hmm. to be the stealer of souls. They look like a cross between a, a sparrow and an owl, but they yeah. don't look, I know, I don't know if that's a deliberate thing, you know, well, they, I they, think don't, they don't just look particularly menacing. They're, I don't think yeah. they're,
2: you're not really supposed to see them. You're just mm-hmm. hearing them. And um, these are apparently uh, that, that idea is, um, a native folklore, um, idea. So, hmm. uh, when he decided to use this as sort of a, not really a plot device, but it's close to it. Um, yeah. Yeah. These HP Lovecraft does his research. He grounds his tales in, um, all folklore. And yeah. True. That's, that's nice to see. um, Because the other elements are, like, so, like, fantastical, um, Mm. that it needs that little bit of,
0: um, grounding in in something that's relatable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 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 that is great. It's
0: It's one of those little details that sort of gives that extra realism.
2: But yeah, that's, um, that's pretty much the movie. It, uh... I don't know, I mean, I, I, it's worth watching if you get the chance. Yeah. but yeah. Uh, yeah. like I said, it, it it could have some uncomfortable scenes. Um, Bits do linger a bit too long on the, the nature of these rights, these dark rights. Mm. Um, <laughs> but overall, yeah, it was, wasn't was like a bad movie. Uh, I don't think it did so well on um reviews and just judging by that, yeah. you know, people are less inclined to watch this. But it's one of the few um, adaptations you can find that was of at least considerable budget versus a lot of the um, independent films that you see generally um, focused on the Cthulhu mythos. So it does mm-hmm. have that. I mean, there's there's really not many other movies you can watch that are um, adaptations of you know,
0: yeah. Lovecraft's yeah. Yeah. work.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good at least. Uh, well, that has been uh, The Dunachara. Yeah. A novel by H.P. Lovecraft, or short story by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, Matt, where can people find you on the internet?
1: They can find me on Old Tinternet on Twitter <laughs> at, at NinjaBadger7, the number seven. Um, doing a few projects. Uh, look out for a, another horror related one very uh, how about you, Dave?
2: You can find me at Sentinel um, underscore Plus on Twitter, uh, well, I and mean, that's pretty much my place. I am so <laughs> 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 that's where you'll find me.
0: Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Night underscore Twitten. That's the night without okay. Uh, you can also find the podcast at Mon underscore dmonster. Uh Please uh, stop by, check us out. I'll usually post what subject we're doing next. So you can get feedback in, um, yeah. And just come for a chat. We always love a good chat. We do. Absolutely. And with that, dear listeners, we'll see you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.